episode two, I guess. My name is Chris Jacobson. I am found on Instagram at Hiram Woodworking or at What Would You Turn. Wood is clever, cleverly enough spelt W O O D. And I'm joined here with Marcus Brown, who can be found on Instagram when he occasionally looks at it at Red Chair Woodworks. We're going to share our journey with you, and hopefully, you can share your journey with us. Really, we're just looking to grow and engage with other wood turners, no matter what level they're at and what passion they have for it. We know that it's a rabbit hole in its own woodworking form. And we love it very much, and we want to share it with you. So let's get on into our introduction. We'll allow Marcus to speak now by saying hello this afternoon. How are you doing, Marcus? Hello. <laughs> I'm we, doing we, really good. We laugh about that because uh, apparently I chastised him quite harshly for speaking over me on the intro. So I guess I'm going to be the uh, the aggressor in this that's all right my my feeling was hurt but now i am fine well (laughs) that's why you only have one that's you know that's all you need that's less concerned about let's start out we're going to be this is going to be a very uh formulated type podcast we're going to try to have some formula to it but we're also learning as we go so we'll start with how is our life turning out you see what we did there with that little pun or we can also say, have you been? Have you been lately, Marcus? Kudos on the dad joke, Chris. <clears throat> I'm sure. Without even part... any kids, I have dad jokes. <laughs> uh, things are turning out well. I, uh, As we discussed in previous episodes, I've recently relocated with my bride, and, and I have my wood shop, which is very centric to wood turning up and running, so I've been able to source some some uh, green wood in the last couple of months. So I've been pulling out the chainsaw and cutting blanks and rough turning. I love twice turning and air drying. And uh, today was the second day I've been able to get out and process. I scored some honey locust uh, from central Washington and it it's green, but it is unbelievably hard. I have never worked with it before. And I have mad respect for those who do. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like most of those turners out there. I love to have sharp tools. I'm very fastidious and sharpen my chainsaw regularly. And I, after about four, four maybe five rounds, I, I have to stop, let everything cool down a little bit, and sharpen again and get back after it. And that actually is fine. And, and that's that's while it's green. That's so green. I tell you, I've turned honey locust and black locust before, and honey locust when it's dry, it's uh, like turning concrete. So uh, get, get ready for that. The shavings come off hot. <laughs> so <laughs> well, well, and the good thing is at one. least you at least you uh, shipped your wife out for the weekend, so you can focus more on doing some more wood turning, right? Yeah, she had a uh, HR conference up in the great state of Alaska, and she's up in Anchorage right now, and some. HR stuffy room full of professionals talking about HR stuff. And uh, as much fun as that is, I opted to stay home and do this. And uh, I think I won out on that bargain. 
True. Although I would love to visit Alaska. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to go being surrounded by a conference of HR people. You'd be worried about what you're going to say all the time. <laughs> you better mind your P's and Q's. No, I, I've traveled. My bride is, is a, a very accomplished HR professional. And um, she, I've traveled quite a bit with her to go to conferences. Uh, we've been to Washington, D.C. a number of times. And I just, that's my favorite one. Cause you know, if you haven't been to the Smithsonian, you're missing out. They're wonderful. They are just amazing. And the national gallery of art is my, our personal favorite. We just go in and there's just so much to see and do. So, but this time, you know, like I said, stayed home, it was time to process some, uh, some timber and, and get some green wood turned cause we're starting to, you know, prepare for the summer's markets. Oh, nice. So, uh, how about you, buddy? What's, uh, what you got going on? Oh man. Well, I'm just about to start a new job next week, which will be my Fourier back into full-time work for someone else. I was self-employed for the last uh, just a little over two years solid doing woodworking, carpentry, whatever I could do to pay the bills. So I'm trying to figure out what I can get done this weekend before I get into a regular schedule again. But I as well have a market coming up in the beginning of March here in the Seattle area. It's a indie maker market where they utilize different breweries in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle. So there's six different breweries and each brewery has different makers set up there. So it's kind of like a brewery pub walk. They're all within two blocks of each other and it's just going to be one Saturday afternoon. So I'm kind of going through all my stock and seeing what I have half finished, what I have mostly finished, what needs to be sanded and, and also creating some shavings as well. I sent you some pictures yesterday of, I I just couldn't help myself. I had this piece of maple, big leaf maple that was on a faceplate waiting to turn and I it kept calling my name. So I <laughs> chucked it up and got it roughed out and got it cored out a little bit with mm -hmm. my coring setup. And then this morning woke up early and cleaned up all the shavings that I had collected. It was about, three or four 30 gallon bags of shavings <laughs> in total that had been collecting in the shop. So what do you do with you know, yours, buddy? I, I bag them up neatly and throw them in my compost bag or bot or compost bin. And then oh. they just take them away. Yeah. As long as they're sealed up. I did have one time a uh, very friendly waste management person kindly tell me that they really prefer not to have the dust from your dust collector and or the shavings loose in the bin and he was nice enough to hand me a a handful like a whole roll of compost bags oh said, wow here feel free to use these and then find some for yourself <laughs> so all right right on as long as they're bagged up even then you can get the bags that like you can get them anywhere costco home depot the big like yard waste brown mm -hmm. bags 
I've even used those and just set them there and they'll they'll toss them in there. And in Seattle, they don't really mind composting that stuff. Nice. And it's free. Well, yeah, yeah, which is which is really good. I I lived up in your neck of the woods, as you know, for five years and I sometimes I'd produce hundreds of gallons of shavings. And uh, I found that just putting them into a big black garbage bag, putting them out on my sidewalk near the road, and then putting it onto Facebook Marketplace and just said free, they'd be gone within a day. And oh uh, yeah, yeah I just people take sure. them and fill their garden beds with them, yeah. or mm-hmm. or if they have animals, it's great for animals. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some woods. I've been told they're not good for gardens, like walnut mm-hmm. shavings are not good in gardens. I guess they mm-hmm. have an acidity to them or something, but I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not the uh, arborist or the expert on this way. So yeah, uh, same so, here. I, when I did that, I just no walnut and no um, exotics. You know, I have no idea, you know, if I was turning anything like canary wood or anything, those super dense exotics, I, I didn't put that, but you know, the normal stuff. Yeah, okay. with canary wood, you have to worry about the feathers more than anything. Well, getting that bird to hold still. As you spin it at a thousand mm-hmm. RPMs, it makes it, mm-hmm. it makes a beautiful song. What a so, mess. So next, I guess we'll talk about what, what are we working on currently? What is on our bedways? What, uh, what have you been working on most recently? I know you just mentioned some honey locusts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, working with that green wood, that's that's what I, you know, I think a lot of us turners that do that, uh, we all kind of share that turning green wood is just, it's so much fun. You know, it, it's a little softer, it's more forgiving, um, you can go longer in between sharpening, and uh, it's just very enjoyable. Almost almost all the species of of timber we have that we work with is better when it's in a green shape and then uh yeah so i've been working with that honey locust like i said earlier and that's been interesting i've learned and and thanks from a tip of you uh sometimes you can get away with keeping the pith in there in some species of wood uh locust is not one of those species you you i Mm. my my five minutes of experience has taught me that that that's got to come out. And I'll tell you, um, on the honey locust, other species, I'll, I'll cut down through the pith and cut like an inch on either side of the pith. And then you have the quarter sawn wood on either side of that board. I, I, I have an exceptionally sharp chainsaw. I have a fairly large chainsaw. I'm pretty good with it. And I don't want to stand there for another five to 10 minutes cutting that piece out. So I'll, I'll just cut right down through the pith and then I just make sure I turn it right away. And I just turn the pith off of that blank before I, I rough it into a bowl. And I just find that to be a much easier solution. As long as you get to it fast enough, right? Very fast. Um, I'm How also did it work find- with this honey locust though? Well, my I've got a couple of bowls where it started cracking and, um, you know, thin CA glue and I'm just, my fingers crossed, hopefully as it dries, it doesn't have very far to go. It was where I got it. It's a kind of high desert and it was on the ground for a few months in some pretty hot temperatures. So a lot of the surface moisture is out, um, but it's measuring at about 20, maybe 18 to 20%. 
and uh, in my shop here on the Oregon coast, I don't think it'll take more than three or four months for it to dry up and uh, be ready for that that twice turning. But uh, that's been that's been a real focus is the turning green green timber. Um, and I really hope, you know, I, like a lot of us wood turners out there, I've gotten to the point where I've spent what I would consider a ludicrous amount of money for a hobby. <laughs> and so now my bride who has the patience of Mother Teresa has put her foot down and she's like, you, you need to start making money to pay for your new toys. And uh, <laughs> she's absolutely right. So now I'm saving up. I, I like your like you and so many lucky wood turners out there. I really want to get the one way coring system because working with green wood, especially some of the bigger pieces. Oh man, that's nice to get a number of of bulls out of a out of a single chunk of timber. Well, at least be thankful that we have a hobby that, even if it's few and far between, we can still make a few dollars off of. Yeah. My my wife is an avid outdoors enthusiast and I love being out there with her when I can, but she loves downhill mountain biking. And guess what? She makes zero money from it. So <laughs> and has no prospect of making money from it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, her bike costs more than my lathe. So holy shnikey. Wow. Yeah, even if I bought the lathe brand new, her bike costs more. <laughs> Well, you know, the right tools so, for the job, right? It's all good. No, exactly. And it'll last her five plus years until she mm -hmm. upgrades to another one, maybe. So mm. how's but the, re what, how's the resale market on that? Uh, if you, if you really care, I, from what I can understand from a few friends I've talked to, if you go within a couple of years, you can still get a decent chunk back. Mm -hmm. If you go too long, then the the uh, mountain bike industry just is ever progressing and finding new ways mm. to make things better. And mm. as opposed to wood turning, there's not much more progress being made on the, on the tooling end of it. Really. I would, I agree with that. It does seem like it's been kind of the same technology. I think the technology of carbide, and uh, high freak variable speed drives on on the lathes has probably been what I've noticed as the the since the big upgrades. Yeah, and maybe a little bit of the tool steel and mm -hmm. what else? Maybe some random accessories here and there that somebody comes up with, but it's not like it's not yeah. changing as far as you need to buy a new lathe. I mean, mm -hmm. the lathe I have is as beautiful as it is and, mm -hmm. and awesome being a one way it's 25 years old this mm -hmm. year. It was mm -hmm. built in 99. Mm -hmm. So, well, they're fairly simple machines, you know, they just got to be built correctly and they'll last a long time. Just got to spin stuff and have some weight to it to yeah. from walking around your shop. <laughs> right on. So, uh, what have you been turning lately, Chris? Oh man. Well, like, like I mentioned earlier, little maple I got, um, from a friend on Vashon Island here locally. My, uh, actually my brother-in-law's neighbor slash landlord. She had a big maple tree come down because it was starting to rot at the base. And I was helping him out with some work and he, uh, I drove past it 
and asked her, I was like, oh, what are you doing with this maple? She's like, oh, I don't know, probably just chop it up into firewood at this point because they <laughs> both have wood, they both have wood burning fireplaces and it makes perfect use of a material like that. And I said, do you mind if I take some with me? And she was more than happy. So <laughs> did she I ask you some, what... some real big pieces out of there too? And I even got a few giant, I think it's probably 30 inches by 30 inch crotch piece. Oh, wow. That, that was not light and not easy to saw. But I also got some smaller pieces that are about 14 to 17 inches. Even taking mm. the pith out, they're maybe five to six inches deep so wow. kind of working on a little bit of that and working on um, as i mentioned earlier going through the pieces that i've either rough turned or turned to a point to where they're ready to be sanded i've got a pile of stuff waiting to be sanded i've got a pile of stuff ready to be finished turned i even i found some cord bowl sets some birch and some maple and some other stuff from four years ago. Wow. And I just, I need to try and see if I can Dude. make something of it. It may be a little <laughs> punky and it may not survive, but I've got to at least chuck it up and see what's going on. So my, my table saw and my uh, outfeed table is covered with bowl blanks and or mm. semi turn pieces. So I got got to kind of go through that and see what's what's going to be making some good pieces coming up with uh with that show i have coming up in uh march beginning of march so it's nice to have a little deadline and something mm -hmm. to work for i'm, I'm excited well, nervous and uh uh a little anxious all at the same time <laughs> yeah. i've never done a show before so it'll be it'll be my first time yeah, that that'll be really exciting for you. I I have not spe specifically done a show. I've had my wood turning uh, bowls in a uh, a wood shop. They sell um, like tables and and other bowls and whatnot. And I I didn't myself find a whole lot of success in that environment. But I think it's just I think when you're standing right next to your bowls that you turned and you get to talk to a, somebody that's interested in them there's this magic that, that happens. Um, I told you just not too long ago, I took those bowls out of that wood shop right before Christmas. And I was going to put them on a different platform and sell them differently. And some friends at work, some coworkers at work discovered that I was a wood turner. Cause you know, when I'm at work, I kind of keep it, keep it, keep myself to myself. Um, but that when they saw what I did, they, they wanted to see the bowls. So I took them in and it was a feeding frenzy. It was such a great ego boost. They bought like $700 worth of bowls. And I'm just like, they just were so impressed with them and very complimentary. And it was a really good thing to hear. I'm not bragging. It's It's been six years of learning and, and trying to figure out. I don't want to like... <laughs> I don't want to do this for a living. I'm no Mike Mahoney. I'm no, <laughs> you know, I, but it's fun to be able to make a, some income from your hobby so that you can pay for your hobby. But uh, to address your big leaf maple, that 
that's my absolute favorite wood to turn. I just think it's just, it has so much staining and so much character and it's just so beautiful. It has just the right hardness. It turns really well, even when it's bone dry, it's not that difficult, sharp tools. And uh, I just love it. I'm super jelly of you getting some of that. Yeah, and I've got plenty more of it sitting on Vashon Island waiting for me to pick it up. And uh, I don't know, I don't tripping. know what I'm going to do with it all. And and even what's nice is the uh, the my brother-in-law's neighbor, who's his landlord. She's she's older, so she I think she's in her 60s, maybe. Uh, she lives by herself. Her she has two daughters that have since grown and moved out. She asked me after I had sent her a picture of one of the bowls that I had rough turned and kind of just showed her an example of what it can be. She actually is, sounds like she's going to commission me to make two salad bowls for each of her daughters. So ah. I'll, I'll give her a little discount as a, uh, <laughs> hey, thank you for the, thank yeah. you for the materials mm -hmm. and, you know, everything else, but, you know, make a, make a, few dollars on that and that's the fun thing about using lumber and material that you find locally and can harvest and keep out of the keep out of the fire pit keep out of the mm. yard waste bin keep out of you know just doing that you can create something out of it and some a mem lasting memory of a maple tree that grew up on the land where her daughters grew up and mm. were raised on the same property. So mm -hmm. how cool is that to have that story of like my, my salad bowl is made from a tree that grew on my family's property. Yes. How, that that's, what's so great about yeah. using, using urban lumber and, you know, mm -hmm. materials like that is you can create a story for somebody out of it. Absolutely. And people want to hear that. They, they love that that bowl or, or whatever they're holding that you made, if it has that, that provenance, it's just, it's just that much more interesting. I got some pear wood some years ago in Sheldon, Washington, and the homeowner thought that that was probably the oldest pear tree in Sheldon. It was a hundred years old, a pear tree, which I understand is not a common thing <laughs> there. They usually don't last that long. Most yeah. woods in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was just really cool and turned him a, a small bowl and gave it to him. And he would, him and his wife were just tickled pink. It went all the way back to his great grandfather. And that's really neat. I really love that about our hobby. Yeah. And so even then to transition us into our next little, little subject is what has been inspiring us as of late what 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 who maybe where materials wise persons wise however it may be what has been inspiring you as of late marcus as far as what what you've been turning and working on well uh you know i'm i consume a lot of content from other wood turners i i spend uh, probably an unhealthy amount of time on youtube my my bride would say um, you know, I follow folks on Facebook. I I'll admit it. I I'm a Facebook junkie and most of what I do in, in social media is Facebook, but I follow a lot of the clubs 
And, um, uh, you know, it's just a constant source of inspiration and, and wow, you know, I really love segmented turning and I've only been able to do a few pieces of it. And, you know, in the course of moving and in life, now that I've got a, a permanent wood shop, I, I'm really looking forward to getting into that. And there was a gentleman who recently posted in one of the Facebook groups. Um, he, he had these, a, a floor face and I really don't know its dimensions, but it looks like it's three feet tall at least. And it looks like its widest diameter might be about 15 or 16 inches. Uh, and I think he had, it was north of 30,000 segments into that bowl. And it was just a very simple design bowl, but it was just, I don't know. I was just mesmerized by that. Just the amount of time that it took him to glue all those pieces into the rings. He glued them as he went on the, on the lathe itself. He has one of those jigs that you glue in layers, uh, real time. The only, the only drawback is you're, you don't have any ability to, um, apply pressure, uh, to the ring when you glue it on there. So, you know, they can't, the segments can be really gappy. Uh, I looked at that photo pretty closely and I, it didn't stand out to me. I think it looked absolutely beautiful and I'm not only inspired by the dedication, but I'm just inspired that, you know, somebody else out there would, would take on such a, what seems like a very daunting, I mean, that, piece could blow up <laughs> and then you I'm, yeah i found it you while you were talking it. about it i found it and it's in one of the facebook uh wood turning groups segmented bull turning mm. it, the guy's name is peter ramakers and i yeah that thing has to be almost maybe even four feet tall i'm mm -hmm. trying to trying to see i know he posted how many pieces it was but it was north of 30 and it might have been like 54 or something like that. Thousand. Yeah. And uh, he's not. 51,705 pieces, 231 <laughs> rings. <laughs> I think I'm, that's yeah, fantastic. I found the post. I'm going to, I got to have to copy the link for that. And we can, we can post that in the, in the podcast, uh, show notes if i can figure Fantastic. out how to do that but, yeah <laughs> well things like that really inspire me and i you know i sometimes like i said another bit of inspiration was the the fine ladies at ocean beach hospital that uh you know bought my bowls i just thought that that was that really hit me hard man it really hit me hard i I already struggle with praise or, or compliments. It's, it's odd to hear it. I just never know what this, I always feel like I'm being arrogant when I say thank you. I, it's a, it's a weird thing in my, in my brain and it's getting worse as I get older. But in that moment, it was, it was really cool. And, um, it really lit my fire and it was a, somewhat of a revelation talking with my, with Stacy telling her, you know, I have to be 
in person showing these bulls if I want to sell them. If I'm going to sell these things, they can't live on Etsy, you know, sharing the web space with a thousand other even better turners that um, price their wood turning much less than I do. You know, you deal with a lot of that stuff that you you just, that it's not competing anymore because you can't compete with that. So, but when you're in person, you know, you're, you're, you're putting yourself into that piece that they're interested in. And, and like you said, the, hear the provenance or even people are mesmerized when I tell them, I'm like, yeah, I, I chainsawed that tree down into portions and hollowed it out. And then six months and sometimes a year later, I was able to chuck it back up onto my lathe. And then you have what that is. And they're just, you, you didn't dry it or, you know, they just, they're, they're really interested in that process. So that's been my inspiration of late is, is not only that gentleman that uh, turned that insane vase, but the, the sale and the, the interaction with those people that thought my wood turning was worth something. And then uh, of course, I'm always inspired by you, buddy. I, I, I love your wood turning. I think you're just a top shelf turner. And uh, I think, you know, the fact that you're doing that uh, arts fair, I'm not sure. What are we, what are you calling that? A uh, craft oh, fair? I guess it's a, they, I think that's, they call it an indie makers market. Okay. Indie like, makers market. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like, that's the company that is uh, taking it on and they do it in all kinds of different areas. There's one that they do actually in Portland. They're, uh, they do it in Santa Cruz, San Francisco, like LA, like mm. all around the entire United States. They have different markets. They do them in Chicago and, and all over the place they kind of just do it a couple times a year mm. so i actually just got the flyers for it that they sent me in the mail today so wow start starting to litter those around and post them on instagram and and let people know what's going on but yeah yeah well, definitely... nice. i think the best way to to sell your stuff is to sell yourself yeah, you know? yeah. They're, they're buying it partially because they love the piece but also because of the passion and excitement that we can speak to the piece about and just mm -hmm. the love that we have for the craft that we're doing. I think that, so. That was my takeaway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I've talked enough about what's inspiring me. How about you, my friend? What's uh, anything uh, put some wind in your sail lately? That's a weird way of putting it, but um what? That's uh, what inspiring. puts the wind in my sail? What inspires me? Oh gosh, I I'm gonna go back to this only because, like we discussed, we each of us have only taken one class before, but <laughs> even then, just following along with Glenn Lucas, uh, world-renowned woodturner over in Carlow County, Ireland, he. He is continuing to be an inspiration for me with the efficiencies that he posts, the the school that he runs, the ability he has to have the sawmill and, and everything that he does. It, like you said, I don't think it's something that I could ever do as a full-time job only wood turning, but he's found a way, granted he's been doing it for 35 years in some form or another, but his his ability to share the knowledge that he has and to also continue to inspire other wood turners 
with his teaching and his ability to do stuff has kind of helped me to continue to stay motivated, but also forced me to really dial in some of my practices and really focus on the forms of the bowls and platters that I'm turning and, and other vessels and really think more about the shape and using the golden ratio and, and using those, those shapes and sizes that are always a, a consistent feel and, and uh, shape. Some people like to go really weird with their shapes. However, if they don't feel good in the hand, somebody else isn't going to like them as much. And so that, that would be my inspiration currently is, is through Glenn Lucas. My inspiration has been to hone in some of my tool techniques, but also the shapes and designs of my pieces so I can be a little more efficient with them when I am able to get in front of the lathe and turn. Then I can turn more of them because I'm getting more efficient with my my work. Isn't it about shape? I I sent you that video earlier, and I'm really I'm I'm getting to the point of my my own journey that the I've gotten good enough at the at the craft that I can really focus on the shape and trying to do different shapes. You know, whether it's an open, closed form, calabash, yada, yada. But there's just something magical about a a very gentle but perfect parabolic curve. Um, I just, it is, I don't know, I just love it. It just, it allows you when it's sitting on a table to see the whole bowl. So you don't, nothing's hidden. And it allows you... It allows the person who looks at that shape to see the golden ratio or thirds or whatever, um, you know, theory that you're using when you're creating that shape. But just that simple shape, boy, I just, I love it. And Glenn Lucas, boy, I look forward to to my journey over to Ireland and, and being in his class because I just think he's just a, a very, very amazing wood turner and he just seems like one of the kindest souls that you'll you'll meet in our in our endeavor yeah not only him but his wife cornelia is this the sweetest thing you get i mean they make coffee for you at coffee break they bring pastries for you sometimes she makes lunch every day for the mm. class it's yeah i can't can't speak highly enough of being able to be out there and, and the nice thing is it's it's quiet you're out almost in the middle of nowhere there's a small town near there where you can stay it's just a, a beautiful warm loving area so mm. yeah so then we've we've been inspired we know what we've been working on lately and and what you know what our lives have been doing here's an interesting little little turn haha <laughs> Another pun there. It's so easy with wood turning. Um, oh boy. What is something that you're working on to work on the craft and be a safer wood turner? Well, like, uh, I think it was, it really wasn't that long ago that 
I discovered that the face shield is to be used in tandem with safety glasses. And uh, I think I, I picked up on that maybe a couple of years ago because I just, you know, you read, depending which safety shield you're using, they'll tell you, you know, it's ANSI spec and, and it's shatter resistant and it has this this type of safety property. But it isn't enough to protect your eyes. And if you're going to be turning um, and you're going to wear a mask, a face shield, you have got to wear safety glasses underneath. And um, last weekend, while I was rough turning some of that that uh, honey locust, some pe- some pieces were getting up underneath my mask because of my head and the way I was holding my body. But I had a piece shoot up underneath my mask and bounce right off of my left eye safety glass. And I just, I just kind of, you know, you kind of go, oh. That's why you wear safety glasses is if something shoots up underneath, you're still protected if you're wearing the appropriate safety glasses. And that's, you know, that's a whole nother topic that could take a lot of time. But I, I share with you, Chris, that if you're going to turn on a lathe, you need to do everything you can to protect yourself so that you can, you know, whether something is going to come off your lathe, you're going to get a bad catch something is going to come flying at you at whatever RPM your, your lathe is turning and you want to protect yourself. And the, the eyes wearing safety glasses underneath your, your mask. I think that was something that I could easily say is something that everybody should be doing. That's a great, great thing. I even remember a couple of years ago, I was working as a safety professional for an electrical contractor and this was in the height of the pandemic. So we were very conscious about um, being COVID safety on the job site. There was hundreds of people working on the job site. And so it was also the middle of winter when you're wearing a mask on a job site and you're sweating and your safety glasses are fogging. We tried to find solutions for that. and when you have to wear a hard hat, you can attach a visor to it. Mm-hmm. However, we found through extra research that even 3M, which was the manufacturer of the hard hats that we were using, recommended, even if you're using the visor, they recommended using safety glasses as mm-hmm. well. So the visor was not a replacement for safety glasses, even in commercial construction in that that larger field so even more so do we want to be cognizant of that in our own shops because there's no lni police that's going to come and tell you what you have to do there's no safety professional that's going to knock on your shop door and say Mm -hmm. sorry you're not doing this safely we have to be able to really police ourselves on that and know what's safe and the the worst thing you can say is well, I've been doing it this way for this long and nothing bad has happened. That doesn't mean something bad won't happen in the future. Well, that's that, the worst way to think of things. I think so. But I think, I think you and I come from the same position, you know, we're all adults, you know, you can make your own decisions. I, you know, if a person doesn't want to abide by that, that's, 
you know, that's their providence, their providence to do so. Um, but boy, you know, for those that are just getting into the hobby and you might be tuning into this show, you know, trust us, your eyes matter and an extra couple of seconds of putting on that second layer of eye protection. You don't want to lose, you don't want to use your, your eyeballs for this. It's not worth it to me. Just you simple. only get one set of eyes. That's it. We haven't found a way to replace them yet. So no, 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 we haven't. How about you, Chris? You got a safety topic, something that's kind of come over your bow lately. One thing I've been thinking of, and I think I, I take it for granted because it's something similar to someone that wears glasses all the time. I just wear safety glasses all the time as well. in the shop, I just put them on, even if I'm not using a tool, but is what about your set screw on your chuck and your faceplate? Oh boy. Uh, it's something listen. that I do every time. It's almost out of, I've turned it into a muscle memory. Mm. I put my chuck on and most of our lathes, not every lathe, I don't know every model and make and every chuck manufacturer, but every chuck I have and every lathe I've had has a shoulder towards the back end of the headstock. So when you set that set screw and just tighten it down, it takes five to 10 seconds to grab that little Allen key and tighten it. It keeps that thing from loosening off where it's at. And especially if you have the ability to turn in reverse, which is my preferred way of sanding is sanding in reverse. So then I can throw the dust away from me and into my dust collector. But just setting that set screw, it's an added, it's it's the same thing almost to me in my head of wearing the safety glasses with the visor. Mm-hmm. It, it, it will save you at one point, whether you know it or not, you may not see that piece of shaving come under your face shield and bounce off your glasses and you may not see your piece not come off the lathe but if you've ever had a piece wiggle off or maybe because it's imbalanced and just shaking a little bit sometimes that chuck can work its way off of the headstock just slightly then all of a sudden you've got a mass of 20 30 pounds sometimes less sometimes more spinning at 500 to a thousand rpms depending on how well you're going and that thing can wiggle its way right off so i'd say use your set screw on your chuck and your face plates when you can i you're right nobody's gonna argue that (laughs) you'll learn i'm always right but my caveat is there's a huge but and you yeah. know it, and I know it. If you set that set screw mm-hmm. and you do your thing and it's time to take it off the lathe and you forget to unback off that set screw, you absolutely gnarl your threads. And it's, you shouldn't it's, because it, most headstocks have the collar and an indent in your threading for those set screws most i i would argue that 
that is your one way is a special has a special headset. We should look into that. But I have a Powermatic, and it doesn't have. It has a little so the threads go in and then stop, and then there's a a bare area um, to the left. There's no channel. There's no channel. Ooh. So if there was a channel, then when if you tried to unscrew that without pulling your your set screw out, it's not going to go anywhere, and you're going to go, oh yeah, I got to pull my set screw out. Interesting. That that's my grievance. Is I Maybe when I'm I first. Spoiled. Well, I don't know, buddy. You're I'm, you're right, but I I would caution those who follow that safety advice to find a way to make sure that you remember to back that set screw if you don't have a channel uh, to protect your threads. Because you can I take had it all a, the way out if you need to. I had an absolute heart attack. I, I was turned and it when it becomes really relevant for me is when you're turning something big. Because if you throttle up your your uh, lathe, the inertia of the item in your chuck isn't gonna catch up to your headstock as quickly because of how heavy it is. And that's when it'll back itself out and you'll be looking at it going it's moving, but it's not spinning. Well, it's because it's spinning off of the spinning off your headstock. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, so I, I, I almost had a catastrophic whoopsie uh, shortly after I bought my Powermatic, following that advice. And I, I will tell you what I what I I learned from a YouTuber, and I don't know who it was, but if I do the set screw. I take a piece of one and a half inch blue tape and I'll literally write set screw on it. I'm not even going to kid you. And I'll stick that piece of tape right on my headstock so that when I'm going to pull that thing off, I see that piece of tape and ho- I'm hoping that my brain goes, oh yeah, the set screw. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I get in a hurry. I'm in, a, I'm in my own zone. And like you and said, you... That's you where building muscle. that muscle memory. And uh, if you know you're putting it on and you know you're taking it off, I don't grab my chuck key until I grab the uh, little Allen key that comes with my mm-hmm. chuck mm-hmm. to set that set screw. And I just loosen that. And it's I keep them magnetized to the side of my lathe right next to each other. They're I t- one I just... right next to the other. I just think the design is just so stupid. It pisses me off. I mean, that's screw. You're, you're literally going to screw into your headstock. It's just such, it just seems like a cowboy fix rather than an actual engineered system to prevent your, your chuck from coming off. And it's just, you know, we're spending, I mean, I, I spent, you know, a lot on my lathe and and if you bought a brand new lathe today a big boy lathe a full-size lathe with you know a three-horse motor on it at least you're spending in the neighborhood of five to ten thousand dollars i just don't understand i just don't understand i don't understand why they can't have something better for that system you know we have the groove on the headstock well, a groove is the least, but you know, like Easy Wood Tools and their their chuck, I have it, and although it's it's very expensive, I love how quick it is to take the jaws out and put different jaws in. 
I think it's worth it. But on the other hand, why couldn't they have some sort of collar release that would fit into that 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 groove where you just spin just the backside? Button. Just something that's not yeah. going to wreck your threads and it doesn't require a separate tool to engage or disengage. Not to mention one other grievance. Those set screws are tiny. And if you back it out too far and it hits a pile of sawdust, oh baby. Did that work? That's where your good friends McMaster car come in handy and they're very cheap to replace. But, you know, sure, we can keep complaining about, you know, our our belt and suspenders is very cumbersome, but it keeps your pants up. Yeah, I know, buddy. You I like I said, you're not wrong. I just I complain about that cuz it it's just not user friendly unless you're, you know, really uh, like you said, you have to be very uh, rigorous on the regiment of how you put on and take off a chuck. And um, I think sometimes it just comes into slowing down. We get so excited when we're ready yeah. to take a piece off that we're <laughs> thinking about the next three steps. Yeah. Why don't you just think about that next step of, okay, I need to take the chuck off. Let's Let's slow down. Let's use that as a point to meditate on what's going to be next slow down yeah that you and re- that'll help us a lot hey i aired my grievance <laughs> hey exactly and what did i tell you uh, you're gonna learn if not sooner than later that i'm always right hmm. i know it's a lot of hubris right here but you know it's hubris. hard when, it's hard when I'm the most humble person I know. I, so. <laughs> it's what it sounds like. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, oh, sure, my gosh. sure. Everyone's gonna gonna just blast me and just say, "Oh my nah. gosh, this kid knows what he's talking about." He just, he's just, oh, he's so haughty and blah blah blah. I'm like, no, I'm not. But I just hoity-toity. You can't complain about me. So that's okay. You know, that that's, that's uh, just one last thing is it's, I just think it's another opportunity that when you're at these trade shows, if you happen to be there and you see, you know, robust or you see powermatic, I tell them, just go, ask look, them. this is Don't a even really, tell them, just ask them. Yeah. This hey, is, do a, you have any, any better workarounds for yes. this safety yeah. aspect? They won't change a thing unless you say a thing. And I think a lot of us, a lot of wood turners don't use that set screw to lock our chuck onto the lathe because there is a component of complexity that you you have to be very mindful and have physical memory because you can ruin the threads on your headstock. And that is a huge problem. Mm So bring it up, bring it up. Let them know. Yeah. And let us know if that's a problem on your lathe yeah. or, or not, or, or if you have that indentation on yours, mm-hmm. I'm going to do a little more uh, investigation and see if other mm-hmm. lathes have that. I, I don't yeah. honestly let remember, us know. So. What do we know? I've worked on so, two lathes in my life. <laughs> yeah. I've worked on a few more, but regardless, I, I think I take for granted what I do have. And some of us mm-hmm. do at times. So to, to go on to our next subject, then, Tools for Fools. Ooh. Or what is your new favorite tool? Maybe a tool that you've 
fallen mm. in love with again? Mine's or easy. Did, did you find any good deals on a tool lately? Whatever it may be, Marcus, what what have you been a fool for lately well, as far as your tooling? I'm I had a quote unquote slow speed bench grinder. You know, it's seventeen fifty RPM. Maybe. Or and, was uh, it was it variable speed? Yes, it was variable speed, and I had it down on low, and I don't remember what the low was, but it was somewhere around fourteen or seventeen hundred RPM. And um, I upgraded to CBN wheels some years ago. And uh, boy, for those listening, if you haven't made the change, do it. It is so they're so so much better. If they don't get hot. It, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, honestly, they've come way down in price. Wood Turner Wonders. Mm-hmm. You could get an eight inch CBN wheel for like 150 bucks. 100 I don't bucks. Yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable. I really don't. You you're going to you save go... tool steel and you're going to yes. save time in sharpening mm. and setting that edge. But yeah. So my favorite that. tool, my favorite tool is uh, I've got a dear friend up in Seattle, Washington. And, handsome uh, guy. Handsome fella. He's yeah. a little a little hubris, but it's okay. Um, he made me an unbelievable deal on a Tormac 8 and I've been learning how to use that and unfortunately I had to re re redo the tips on all my bowl gouges um but it you know it worked out I just I didn't have my bench grinder my bench grinder literally just died I think the starter capacitor died but I I don't want to mess around with it um, so I just using that 600 grit Tormac, I re redid my, my, uh, bowl gouges and it's, it's a game changer. It doesn't get hot at all. You know, that water keeps Impossible. it absolutely <laughs> cold and I don't listen. I don't mean to s- strike controversy and I'm not a metallurgist and I'm just a hobbyist and I'm just now getting into this whole, uh, Tormac thing, but. It seems to me empirically that my edge lasts longer. And I don't know why that would be. I'm sure there's some uh, science that could be involved that would say, no, Marcus, it's it's in your head or maybe it's not. But that's my opinion. I think that the edge that I'm putting on my 5H gouge, because that's all I use on my bowls practically, um, it's lasting longer in... I just, I love it. I just love every bit of it. It's kind of fun. I look forward to turning it on now. It was a little intimidating to learn because it's a very different system than your your atypical Wolverine grind system, your one-way system on your bench top. But it's another one of those tools that's, oh my, oh my stars, it's so expensive. I mean. Oh, oh it's ridiculous. Oh my It is gosh. ridiculously expensive. Uh, it, I, it is think of, think of the hard. tool steel you're saving too. I'm trying to. Uh, it, How many it passes will... does it take once you get that edge set and you get mm-hmm. your profile set up with your mm-hmm. jig setting and your protrusion? Like, mm-hmm. how? I mean, it, typically with mine, my gouges, it takes what three passes on each side, maybe. I try to, I'm trying to be consistent. So I I try to make three to four passes on each wing. I do the wings first 
and then I come back and and do the the tip, and uh, that's a Glenn Lucas tip that I, at least that's who I got it from. I don't know, you know, it might be Tormek, it might be somebody else that came up with that, but I I do the wings first, and yeah, three or four slow. Ooh, ooh. It doesn't yeah, take long. Doesn't take long, and I use I'll use three. I'm a I'm a big Ellsworth grind guy, and I have three bowl gouges that are that I sharpen up in advance of turning. And uh, it's just glorious to, to use. I just think it's a fantastic tool and uh, I wouldn't have been able to buy it had it not been for the, <laughs> the terrific price and the layaway plan the that layaway. Is the seller, the seller, it was, you couldn't walk away from it. So he was, he was desperate. He had no reason to sell his. The only reason he did was because Torment came out with their 50th anniversary, all black, beautiful T8 edition, which was the same exact darn grinder that he already had with a few <laughs> less features, but it was black. And I mean, I want my grinder to be the same look as my heart. So black it is. <laughs> if i could if i could i would yeah and cold yeah if i could i would repaint my lathe black i do miss having a black lathe that looks so much better but what's wrong with mustard yellow it's disgusting (laughs) it's gross there's a reason i have one tool that's mustard yellow and even that one i'm trying to sell at this point god i just hate that color <laughs> well, but they make uh, a great tool, and I'm I'm actually interested. We'll do a side note on fools for tools. That new coating, whatever they're doing, Powermatic mm-hmm. on their bandsaw tables and their jointers. Mm-hmm. Golly, I like if I could, I would upgrade to a 12 inch mm-hmm. jointer and get that black. Not only is it mm-hmm. black, it's black, but mm-hmm. also from what I've seen in the videos. That stuff looks beautiful. I don't even know what kind of witchcraft they're using on that thing. Yeah. Where you don't have to wax know. it. It's not rusting. I'm like, mm-hmm. sign me up. Make everything out of that. But it looks pretty amazing. And and they are having a sale on their that line of tools at power. I just happen to notice um we are recording yeah, this on the, the, the mustard yellow Kool-Aid. Yeah. Well, on the twentieth of January, I'm saying that that sale is still going on. I don't know till when. So it's probably like what ten percent, fifteen maybe. It's yeah. something. Something. It adds up when you're buying a seven thousand dollar twelve inch joiner. <coughs> oh gosh. All right. All right, Chris. Oh, sorry. Your turn. What's your what? <clears throat> what tool are you a fool for? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna keep it consistent with my safety topic, oh, with a set screw. <laughs> and here, here we go. Hold on, wait for it, wait for it. And Marcus already knows this because Check I'm please. trying to convert him. Oh, Check Marcus me. is he's already quitting. I need a new co-host <laughs> if anybody's interested in uh, hearing me ramble on about how I know everything about everything and <laughs> dead horse. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I can beat it, and then <laughs> then I'll uh, take it, cut it up, and smoke it on my smoker. But regardless, it's going to taste delicious. Traeger. No, not no as... Traeger. I'm yeah, I'm not a pansy when it comes to smoking. I use actual like hardwood charcoal. 
So oh. anyway, that's a subject for that's a subject for the uh wow uh, for the uh woodworking we're gonna get some comments. That's all right. Magnolia is listening to this, so he understands. <laughs> Hardwood charcoal only when you're smoking. Anyways, let's let's not digress too much. The tool that I love the most is the handles on my D-Way tools. If you're not familiar with D-Way tools, just the letter D-Way tools. They're out of the Pacific Northwest here. Mm-hmm. And what's great is they make handles that are aluminum, but they also have a nice rubber coating on the outside that they put on. And they allow you to upgrade where usually they use a set screw to set the handles. You can also upgrade for, I think it's $15. You can get a little knurled handle mm-hmm. and it's a quick release. Basically it's, it's just got a little screw on it makes up for the set screw but it makes it that much easier to take the blade out of the handle and either maybe you just want one handle and use multiple blades if you want to save some money or if you're um intelligent i guess better i'm gonna like i'm just gonna i'm leaning into this hubris no wow (laughs) if you are more efficient how about more efficient you have a tool for every handle but that's also if you don't like money i don't like money so i try and spend it when i have it well let me let me jump in here real quick so if you have the ability to take your 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 blade i guess you're calling it i don't know whether it's a gouge or it's a scraper gouge if, blade whatever if, it may be. if you can take that out of your handle I can speak just recently that it makes it that much easier to sharpen that on a Tormac than you're not dealing with, you know, a 20 inch hand. I love long handles. I've just kind of come to be comfortable with that. It's not the easiest thing to wrestle over a Tormac. So uh, my question to you, my friend, my esteemed, amazing, cultured humble. friend. Yeah, it's humble too. Yes. Um, what about that? knurled quick change knob doesn't that I, so it's dead center on the top of your tool and that's typically where my hand goes yeah does it have to be yeah why well because you don't want it to be in the way of your tool rest so it's either going to be on, it's on, on the the either side your, handles, or on the your handle your handle's never on the tool rest yeah okay you only yep. put the blade of the gouge on the tool rest well I'll, what i'll say I, I already knew where you were going with this it's never gotten in the way if yeah anything as i'm turning it a certain way to get a certain profile on on my turning occasionally it may bump into my belly which thankfully for both of us our bellies are soft enough to be able to absorb a little bit of a knob <laughs> and not notice the difference. So I'm just saying this is me. It, not it does up. make it a lot. It does make it a lot easier to maybe a half a turn on the knob, take the blade out, sharpen it, throw it back in, 
get back at work. And it does make it a lot easier to get closer to the tool and the grinder when even when using a mm -hmm. one-way Wolverine platform, or if you want to use a regular platform to grind, that's even mm -hmm. easier. If you do, if you like that 40-40 grind mm -hmm. and you do it on a platform style, just not having a handle in the way makes it a lot less cumbersome when it comes to grinding. Yeah, that 40-40 grind, that's cumbersome enough. Yeah, I've tried it, and I have the one way, I, oh, who is it? I think he's a brown as well, another guy, brown's best or something like that. Mm -hmm. He has the uh, the jig set up to do the 40-40, mostly 40-40 grind. It's a nice little grind, but it's just too yeah. cumbersome. I, I don't like grinding by hand unless it's a negative rate scraper or a beading tool that's a little different but having to grind my wings manually i'm just not that efficient <laughs> i'll let the jig and the grinder do it <laughs> yeah i i mean to each his own i i don't want to yuck on anybody else's yum but I'm just so much more comfortable using a jig, something that's going to keep the stupidity out of my hands and also consistency. You know, I think is the big thing, right? Cause I think you and I, you know, we're, we're at best weekend turners, you know, you, yeah. you being a professional woodworker, you've had, you've had a little more time to, to spend there, but it's only when I don't want to do other stuff. That I <laughs> tend to, gravitate towards the lathe. I'm like, I need some, I need an hour of therapy. So, but I think but. the voice, the loudest voices in the, in the room that advocate for that grind, um, they're, they're professional turners, you know, that's what they do. It's Stuart Batty for goodness sakes. I mean, my yep. goodness. And yeah. I mean, they, they are unbelievable wood turners and they've put in their time and years of practice and, I don't know. To each his own. Whatever, whatever you want yeah. to do. If it's a if it's a turner that doesn't turn their grinder off when they go back to the lathe end of the grinder, if they leave their grinder on, then yeah, they're probably grinding enough to be able to get that same muscle memory as we mm. spoke about earlier. Yeah, that's you can true. Do it and you can get into it. It 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 does feel good to kind of get into that groove and move your hips with grinding the tool on a platform but yeah i just i like consistency and mm -hmm. and yeah using those tools for that is made it a lot a lot easier and just faster so well that's what we do moving on to our next little phase how about a wood turning challenge uh, are, you, are you up for a challenge well uh you're gonna have me challenge somebody that's uh good because no 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 i'm talking to you my friend so um yeah I'm, i would i'm love talking to. to all the wood turners all the Aye. all the three people that are listening to this episode you know however you many are. people actually listen i'm hoping a few more maybe but i want to do a challenge we haven't right. discussed a challenge ahead of time so we didn't this there is... may be some debate to this but no what do you I want think, to do i think a good challenge and i think this will definitely be a challenge for marcus because he is opposed to this 
Oh God! If it's you're gonna not gonna, it's not gonna platter. be paint. It's not gonna be paint. So <laughs> paint, paint will come another time. A painted bowl challenge. But how about uh, a beaded bowl? Ah, uh, you know, I, I, I have to tell you, um, I'd have to get a beading tool. No, you don't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened to the one that I had. It, you don't need a beading tool. What if I told you you could do a beaded outside profile to a bowl with a bowl gouge and no beading tool? Yeah, I know. Spindle and gouge is easier. And yeah. I'll, is it? Because yeah. I will tell you, and this is how I'm going to share another uh, wonderful Wood Turner's YouTube channel and Instagram profile is alexander designs scott Mm. alexander he has a great youtube channel and a beautiful passion for wood turning he just released a video this week i believe it was and we'll share it in the uh, podcast notes if i can again figure out how to do that but if you search alexander designs wood turning or scott alexander on youtube or instagram he just released a video and shows you his process. And it's not something that's going to come immediate. But with practice, without a beading tool and just a regular bowl gouge, you can do a beaded outside profile to a bowl. Excuse me. Marcus needs to learn how to use his mute button. But other than that, oh, it's okay. Um, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first so, time we've used this. Come on. I've coughed four different times and no one's heard it. Just saying. Um, <laughs> again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you didn't see my wife walking behind me in the background during this did podcast. You, did you hear it? Yeah. No, you didn't because I muted myself. Well, no, I heard her first. And then I I muted, mm-hmm. asked her to close mm-hmm. the door, and doors closed. Nobody's watching the video, anyways. Anyways, <laughs> let's not digress into me being right again. But a beaded bowl challenge. It doesn't have to be the whole bowl. You can do a section, but I'd say a minimum. Let's say a minimum of five beads oh. on a bowl. Add it. Add it as a nice little accent. It looks great with figured woods. It looks great with plain woods. It actually accents a plain wood really nicely. It doesn't so look you great have a with piece of figured wood, wood. What are you talking about? Nobody it thinks does. that. Nobody thinks That's, that. It's true. I'll, I'll, I'll go find All the right. most figured bowl blank I have, spalted, whatever, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, and I'll throw some beads on it, and you'll be like, oh, that does look nice. <laughs> and you know what's even better? Is the ladies like it. <laughs> <laughs> they like those honey pots. They do. Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah, I've heard. My wife right, loves a nice beaded bowl. She likes a little fatter, wider bead too, where it almost looks like a honey pot, like you said. Yeah. So she she likes I those. I have a few beading tools, but she likes the bigger beads. So that's your your challenge is to put at least five beads, okay. even on the top of a bowl. Right. It feels nice in the hands too. So, five okay. beads minimum. Five beads. You can do the whole right. thing, but I'm saying it's not. And then next time we do an episode, mm-hmm. you get to come up with the challenge next time. Oh, believe me, buddy. Believe me. 
you're going to rue the day that you suggested a beaded bowl as a challenge. Okay. I'm just, just glad. Wait, I can come up with even worse challenges for you because I know how much you hate certain things. So I won't darn talk our, about milk paint at all. But Darn, darn our friendship. I've shared too much. That's your downfall. That is your downfall. So, so And if you do decide to join in in the challenge of turning a beaded bowl vessel platter whatever it may be put five beads on something you're turning if you do it use the hashtag a w j challenge otherwise a wood turner's journey challenge a w j challenge on instagram or youtube or wherever you decide to post it and tag us on instagram at a wood turner's journey so we can repost it and share along with you on your journey of taking on a new challenge maybe, or showing us the better way to do a beaded vessel mm. bowl, whatever it may be. I may think I know everything, but honestly, I don't know everything. I just, wah, it's, wah, I'm just, ma- I'm just masking my own <laughs> insecurities, insecurities with uh, a high level of, exuberance and hubris and and (laughs) unplaced confidence at times so Uh, so that will end our episode episode two i say because i i don't know how many we're going to post before this but this is our first legitimate episode but i don't know we'll figure it out at some point we're going to actually post these i hope and not just ramble on into a recording so again Follow us on Instagram at a woodturner's journey. Feel free to send us a direct message if you have any questions or comments. You can also email us a question, comment, a voice memo, whatever it may be. If you do send us a voice memo, be assured that we may play the actual audio in this podcast if I can figure out how to do it. And you may be subject to us talking about whatever it is that you share with us. So again, it's a woodturners journey at gmail.com is the email address. And then to follow Marcus, you can go to red chair woodworks at Instagram or find Marcus Brown. However, you can find them on Facebook because he's a grandpa. He uses Facebook more than Instagram. Or you can follow me, Chris, at Hiram Woodworking, spelled H-I-R-A-M Woodworking, or at What Would You Turn? And wood is cleverly spelled W-O-O-D. What would you turn? You can also find me on YouTube under What Would You Turn as well. And maybe at some point we'll have a guest, but for now we just got to figure out how to deal with Marcus, myself, and my inflated self ego as the uh, third person on this podcast. So thank you for listening. If you did listen, please let us know. Please give us some feedback on however you want to contact us. We are more than happy to hear from you. What do you think, Marcus? Thanks, buddy. This has been a lot of fun. I am enjoying this very, very much. And hopefully we can continue to enjoy this for for a while longer. And if you have anyone that you think we should interview on here, 
please let us know. We I know we have our own little file of different people that we're hoping to talk to soon enough. So thank you again for joining us and we'll see you again next time on a Wood Turner's Journey. Bye. I love you. Bye.